So, you know, in my mind, Reebok stands for sports and athletics and performance. Now, you mentioned that the future is really entertainment. So, in your mind, the next 20-30 years, do you think the Reebok brand being associated with a broader set of activities beyond sports and, you know, in the realm of entertainment? Or what's your sort of thought process there? People still love brands because brands represent something that they feel they, they want to achieve. And I, this, this is what Reebok has to do. It has to have that fulfillment of people's ambitions, life, uh, desires, and uh, be, be so much to, to people that they, they do, they become Reebok. As you see it around people I talk to, you know, I like Adidas. Like, okay, they like Adidas, that's fine. You know, we'll try and pinch them and get them back into Reebok. But, you know, if they're like, they, they feel comfortable with it. And you, you've got to make people feel comfortable. You've got to make people feel as though as, uh, yeah, you know, this is what we're here for. And we, we love Reebok. So, yeah, Reebok could stand for anything. Hello. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Hi, Joe. I'm fine. It's lunchtime here. It's evening for you now. Is it four? I think you're four hours in front of us. Is that right? Um, we are about five and a half hours. Five and a half. Five and a half. Yeah. Welcome to the Star Mirage podcast, Joe. I, it's, it's truly an honor to have you over, sir. Thank you so much for accepting the invite. Right. Well, it's um, <clears throat> we like to talk to people. <laughs> and especially people who would like to read my book. <laughs> so uh, that's great. Yes, absolutely great. Definitely. I also have on the call Pankaj Rai. He's the chief data analytics officer at ADG and uh, leads the digital and analytics innovation across uh, the businesses. And uh, fun fact, Pankaj is also an athlete, a marathon runner. And uh, like me and millions of other people, he's also a Reebok lover. So <laughs> Good. <laughs> Oh, we 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 like the Reebok lovers absolutely. Well, Reebok, as you know very well, is going through uh, a change, so uh, we're looking forward to that. We are. We're really looking forward to it. It's different, but uh, it's going to be exciting, and I think that's good. Definitely, definitely, Joe. So I would love for you to start off by telling us a bit more about uh, your family before you were born, the inception of. J.W. Foster and Sons, and, and what are the stories you've heard of that time? So that would be a great start, I believe. Okay. <clears throat> well, I guess we could start off with uh, my grandfather. My grandfather, born in 1880, quite a time ago now, and he made, he made himself a pair of running shoes in 1895, and he was only 15 years old, which is quite incredible, really. And... Uh, he put spikes in the bottom and he's credited with either sort of being the inventor or certainly the pioneer of spike running shoes and training shoes, by the way. Later on, he got into training shoes. Uh, but he got his idea from his grandfather. His grandfather was a cobbler, used to repair shoes. And my grandfather used to visit him. Um, but not only did he repair street shoes, he repaired cricket boots. And in India, you'll know all about cricket boots. <laughs> and cricket boots had spikes in the bottom. <clears throat> Even way back then in the 18, late 1880s, they had spikes in the bottom. And we're pretty sure that my grandfather said to his grandfather, why have they got spikes? I'm sure his grandfather responded, because it gives them grip. And that, that was essential. And that, bit of a light bulb moment for my grandfather at that point because he thought well I'm a runner he was a member of his local athletics club in Bolton the Bolton Harriers at Bolton Primrose Harriers actually and an average runner about halfway down the field but uh, he was also a cobbler so he thought I'll make myself a pair of shoes and I put spikes in the bottom and that will give me grip and it did it did give him grip and he he came a very unlikely second in one of his races. <laughs> and of course, his, uh, his teammates, his uh, people, also, other runners looking at him and saying, hmm, what's this? So they saw his spikes and said, well, can we have a pair of those? And 
my grandfather was not a big lad. So I, I think it was a question of saying, agreeing to do that, or, or facing some uh, probably unlikely, uh, well, we can say somebody beating him up because he probably cheated. <laughs> but okay. <clears throat> so that was the start of his business. And uh, of course, it grew. It was incredible. And by, by 1900, he'd actually got a business. And uh, we do have a photograph of the front of his workshops onto the main road. And it's just a billboard of advertising for not only repairing shoes, but making uh, athletic shoes, spike running shoes. Um, by 1908, at the London Olympic Games, he had gold medals, which is way back. Only then, I mean, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about track and field. Olympics then was just track and field. We, we didn't have all the different sports that we have now. But uh, so he had Olympic gold medals. So we, we come, and then 1904, that was much earlier, he got three world records in one event at Glasgow. One event, it was, it was a one hour event. So the athletes covered as much as they could in one hour. But during that one hour, uh, one athlete, um, Alf Shrubs, actually broke three world records. So grandfather, he was a leader in his time, absolute leader. <clears throat> but of course, we come to the second uh, decade. That's, that's when World War I took over. Nobody wanted to run issues. You know, we're, we're, we've never got a war on. So the uh, J.W. Fosters, and by that time, it was J.W. Fosters' sons, because he had two sons. He got my father and uncle. And so they were repairing army boots, which uh, <clears throat> occupied them for four years. But the end of that, 1920, the 20s, that was uh, my grandfather's belly pock. That was his, uh, his decade. We do have a letterhead from the 1920s from J.W. Foster's. And on, on the bottom of the letterhead, it's uh, <clears throat> that J.W. he supplied all the athletes at the Antwerp Olympic Games in 1920. Well, that was a, a pretty big statement. We, we don't know whether he meant he supplied all the British athletes or all the athletes, but it does say all the athletes. <clears throat> but anyway, good achievement. And of course, during the 1920s, we have three, uh, three athletes, Eric Little, um, Lloyd Burley, and Harold Abrahams. I don't know if you can remember the, the film Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, yes, those were the three athletes. Those three athletes were the athletes immortalized uh, in that film. <clears throat> and they all won their, their gold medals were all won in my grandfather's shoes, in J.W. Foster's shoes. So that was wonderful, great. And uh, unfortunately, my grandfather died in 1933. He was only young, he was 53, no age at all. But uh, I wasn't born until 1935, but I was born on his birthday, which uh, my, my grandmother thought, well, that's a, a wonderful coincidence. He's brought his name with him. So whilst my grandfather was called Joe, Joseph William, <clears throat> I am called Joe. And my grandmother insisted. Certainly, uh, my mother wasn't that thrilled at the idea of me being called Joe, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm afraid she was a bit frightened of grandmother. Grandma was a bit of a, a firebrand in her day. And so that, that was it. I'm called Joe. Of course, we're talking 1935. Four years later, I'm still a child. We have World War II. So for six years, we have World War II. And I'm brought up in, uh, there's no lights on in the streets. We're very near to Manchester. And Bolton, where we were born, is just slightly elevated from Manchester, so we could, out of our bedroom windows, we could see the effect of the bombs dropping on Manchester. You could see not so much the flames, but the glow of, uh, of bombs being dropped. There was also one bomb that dropped very near to the factory in Bolton. It was a stray bomb, must have been it. And it, and it blew in the factory window, right at the front. And I do remember going down with my father and we, we actually found a piece of shrapnel from a bomb in the, in the uh, workshop. We found that, and for many years, we, we kept that. But uh, 
1945, the war is over. And although we had had education, there was a little bit of education going on during the war, <clears throat> towards the end of the war, it became normal again. So uh, we're back to education. Eventually I went to college and I did engineering at college. Uh, but even though I did engineering, and I could have, I could have gone into what is now, uh, I think it's the British Aerospace. I could have gone into that. It used to be, used to be called De Havilland, and they used to make Spitfires and they used to make propellers. But uh, I decided not to. I joined the family business when I was seventeen, and I only had one year. One year before, at eighteen years old, I went off to do national service. It was mandatory. We had to do it. So it was two years of national service. Jeff, my brother, he was two years older than me, but his national service had been deferred. So we almost went at the same time. We were both of us away, away from the J.W. Foster factory. And uh, so when we came back after two years, you know, you, when, when you go away, you learn something. It's like going to university, I would think now. We went away and you, have, you start looking after yourself. Mother's no longer there to look after everything, you're washing your meals, whatever. So uh, Jeff and I, when we come back, we come back and we see a failing company. We see J.W. Foster's failing badly. My father and uncle, they were at war with each other. I still don't know even today why. But the difference, the difference of age was five years. Um, maybe they saw something different, maybe whatever it was. And that was okay whilst grandmother was around. Whilst grandmother was there, it kept them together working. Once grandmother died, unfortunately, it was just absolute war. Jeff and myself, we actually had to drag my uncle and father apart. They were that, they were so, what, so at odds with each other. And it's a bit like uh, Adi Dassler and uh, Rudy Dassler. The Dasslers, Rudy Dassler, they couldn't get on. They were fighting and Rudy left. Rudy left to set up Puma. And Adolf, Adi, he kept on with Adidas. Adidas. Um, but unfortunately in the Foster family, they just kept feuding. <laughs> they couldn't get around to somebody. I'll do this, you do that. So no, they worked together. My uncle, he, he was in control of the traditional shoes. They were hand-sewn, hand-sewn turn shoes the old style, and my father, he, he bought some machinery. So now we're doing machinery, machine sewing the uh, soles and instead of hand sewing them. And uh, they just worked apart. They had their own bookkeeping. And Jeff and myself, we are coming back after doing two years and seeing the world. Jeff went to Germany. Jeff had seen Adidas and Puma and seen what was going on there. And we're coming back and we're trying to get my father and uncle to work together. We realized they would never work together. So we tried to get my father to say, look, why don't we set up a separate company? And all my father could say, look, when I'm gone and your uncle's gone, this is your company. You can do what you like with it. Well, I am saying, look, Dad, we don't want you to go. You know, that's not the idea. But this factory will be gone. This company will be dead long before you are. And, uh, you know, that's not good for us. But we couldn't, we couldn't make any headway. So, we decided <clears throat> the best thing to do was we would leave the company. So it was 1958, eventually. And I remember going into the office to see my father. It was a Friday night, just finished work. And I said, Jeff and I are leaving. We, well, we can't work here any longer. We decided we're going to set up on our own company. At that point, he actually picked up a letter opener and, and he stepped towards me and I'm, whoa. But he just gave it to me. And he said, stab me now. And I looked at, this is nothing to do with that. We have to look after our lives. We have to take something forward. And with that, we left and we, we moved to the next town about six miles away. And we we'd actually rented an old brewery. It was a big old building, but it, it was for nothing really. We paid no money to rent it. And it was no wonder because the top floor, the top floor we couldn't use, mainly because 
the roof was very poor and rain came in and northwest of England we have a lot of rain <laughs> and the rain came in so <clears throat> that floor was full of buckets tin cans anything to catch the rain the ground floor the ground floor I don't know if being a brewery it was necessary but there were no windows so it was difficult to to have a factory when there's no windows at all <clears throat> so we use the middle floor and that floor it was satisfactory, but not that, uh, not that safe. So the machinery we bought, and we bought a lot of second down machinery, had to go around the edges, just around the edges underneath the windows. And we left the middle of the floor free because we thought, get too near the middle and we might, we might find ourselves in the basement after all. So that, that was our company. And we called it Mercury Sports Footwear. So we're the, that's the family and we've just left. Now, is that the first bit that you wanted to learn about? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so nice. And so, so thank you so much, Joe. In fact, um, I, I share a similar story. Me and my mother share the same birthday. And, uh, oh, no, <laughs> and I was actually born on the day Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. So <laughs> that's another trivia. Mm. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's clever. <laughs> That was a year after you landed in the United States, I think. You landed in 68. I was born in 69. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, my first trip was 68. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You were born in 69. Wow. Yeah, 21st July. That was the giant leap of mankind <laughs> on the moon. <laughs> ah, I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Joe, uh, you know, it's very hard to find folks like you who have seen uh, close to 100 years of history of, you know, so many generations. So, so how, do, how do we reflect on, uh, you know, some of the values that, you know, the society has had over the years? You know, usually the next generation always thinks that the previous one uh, is doing something wrong and the older generation always feels that the next one is really, you know, taking life easy and not hardworking, whatever. You have seen like five generations. So, so reflect your sort of uh, lessons that you have seen from your grandfather to your grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren on how things have evolved in terms of what they value, how they think about life and so forth. Well, as you know, in 1958, we had no computers. We, we had no mobile phones or cell phones, never mind smartphones. So we, we had none of that. <clears throat> and uh, so we, we had to face things uh, without the information that we have today. Today, you know, information is just at your fingertips. <clears throat> I, I think the best thing we had was Encyclopedia Britannica, which was a series of about 20 books which is really history. So <clears throat> we didn't really get anything day to day. We had to probably go on a path which was directed at our business. Our business, just say, what are we doing? We, you didn't understand what was going on in other businesses, but uh, um, so we, we were in the athletics shoe business and we, we had to make our way in that athletic shoe business. Um, what I had to do was to, find where to sell my shoes. How do you sell your product? Because Foster's, they, they'd, they'd grown by advertising in Athletics Weekly, Athletics Magazine, and word of mouth. A lot of that. And grandfather had grown a great business, but now we're, we're, we're just probably on the cusp of changing from that. And uh, I decided that I should get him in my car and call on local sports shops which I did. I went to local sports shops <clears throat> and these were usually run by an ex-footballer, somebody who'd been playing football, finished and he opened a local sports shop. And I, I would go in and say, look, I'm Reebok. And uh, he would look at me and say, who's Reebok? And well, okay, who's Reebok? Yeah. In those days, who's Reebok? Oh, mind you, I'll tell you the story of how we got to Reebok because <laughs> we started as Mercury. But uh, when he... Uh, <clears throat> And he would say, Look, I've got Adidas, I've got uh, Dunlop, why do I need Reebok? Good question. Why did he? He didn't. He didn't need Reebok. And in those days also, we used to go with our car, take uh, uh, shoes in the back and go to athletics meetings, go to races, road races, cross country. And we would sell direct out of our car. And it's then that I realized that uh, these are my customers. This is the people I've got to sell to. And those days in the UK, there must have been maybe four or 500, um, we'll say athletic clubs all around the country. 
and they were all affiliated to the three A's, the Amateur Athletic Association. And the three A's produced a handbook. And in that handbook was the name and address of every secretary of every club that was affiliated. That was my answer. I sent a letter to all of those people and I gave them 15% discount. And I said, if anybody in your club wants to become an agent, then they can do, and they can get the 15% discount. I, I had over a hundred responses on that first letter that I, I sent and I, and I got a hundred agents. And then I sent another letter later and got more agents. I think we ended up in the end with about 200 agents throughout the country. And uh, they were getting 15%. But then the phone started ringing. And these sports shops that, that had said, why do I need Reebok? The sports shops are coming on and saying, uh, I believe you're selling direct to the athletic clubs. Like, if you, if, if you stop selling direct to the athletic clubs, we'll stop your shoes. Um, I thought for a short while. And I said, no, no, um, you will get the shoes at wholesale price, which is 50% discount. They're only getting 15%. And I think most sports stores would give, would give 15% anyway to the athletic club. So uh, I said, no. Um, and 90% of the uh, retailers agreed because I said, look, I will, I will advertise you that you're our stockist and, you know, we'll put people your way. So that's how we got into it. But uh, I mean, the main challenges that we had in those early days, though, we were Mercury Sports Footwear. And uh, our accountant said, you're doing okay, Joe. Good, but you need to register that name. And we were young. Well, I was 25, Jeff 27. And uh, we said, why? I mean, had we, had we used our own name, J.W. Foster, we could have done that without registration. But of course, our parents, our father and uncle, that was J.D. Foster, my grandfather's company. So uh, I said, okay, I said, How do, who do I go to see to register that? He, he pointed me in the direction of a patent agent in Manchester. Uh, so we asked him to do the registration and he came back, said it's already registered. It's pre-registered, uh, somebody else has it, Lotus and Delta, which is part of British Shoe Corporation. They had it registered. And the, the agent said, they'll sell it to you for a thousand pounds. Well, you know, we just set up a factory for 250 pounds. The whole factory, all, all the second-hand machinery we'd set up for two, we didn't have a thousand pounds, not in those days. And this is only 18 months in our business. So I went along to see the patent agent, nice day in May, his window was open. And he pointed through his window and said, look, if you've got to bring me a new name, one like that. And he pointed to Kodak. And I said, why? What's with Kodak? He said, well, it's their name. They made it up. So that's their name. Nobody can question that or challenge it. Well, right. So uh, he said, well, bring me 10 names. Well, you know, you're naming a company. And we're saying, no, just a minute, 10 names. But, well, he said, Whatever name you bring, we've got to put this to the register. And if the registrar said no or gives us a problem, we got, we'll be going backwards and forwards for months. Bring me 10 names, we can put them all in and uh, we'll see what comes out. So I don't know if you've done this, but sitting around a table thinking up names and you, you, you say, this has got to be the name of our company. You know, it's like, this is a big challenge. And we come up with names like Falcon, Falcon Sports. Yeah, well, that's good. Cougar, how about Cougar Sports? Yeah, okay. But let me take you back to 1943. I am eight years old. It's World War II, the middle of World War II. And just like COVID, we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't all stay at home. But we had events at home, and I won a 60-yard race. And that 60-yard race, I, and I went up to collect my prize. Yeah, what do I get? A dictionary. I get a dictionary. I'm eight years old. And I'm saying, where's the football? You know, it's like a dictionary. What can I do with a dictionary? There was no football. <laughs> it was a dictionary. And I found out, not at the time, but I found out this was an American dictionary, a Webster's dictionary. And the spellings are something different from the Oxford English dictionary. But 
not to worry. We, we know, fast forward again to 1960, and uh, we're thinking of names. And my, my American dictionary sat there next to me, and I pick up the dictionary. I like the letter R. I thought, ah, oh, yeah. So I open my book at letter R and start thumbing through. Come across R-E-E-B-O-K, Reebok, what's that? Small South African gazelle. We're a running company, a gazelle. Fabulous, that was it, top of the list. Back to the patent agent and he said, okay, we'll try them all. And Reebok was the one that came out cleanest. A couple of little things. One was Rebo, and Rebo was a, a ladies' underwear company, and he said they won't worry, no, not to worry. So we, we got Rebo. The registrar, though, the registrar said, we can only put you in part B of the register. And we said, part B, why? He said, well, if somebody wants to make shoes, or say they're making shoes out of Reebok skin, you can't stop them. Ah, right. We didn't think that would ever happen. <laughs> we said, no, we'll go with Rebo. And we did. Ten years later, ten years later, the registrar came back and said, we've moved you to the A section because now everybody knows that Reebok is a sports shoe and that the, the animal is secondary now. So that's how we got Reebok. But, you know, we're talking about um, how, how things change. We were focused on our, on our running company and what we were doing. So what changed, changes for us, we had to change our name. But, you know, I think it's a question of challenges, and I think the challenges are different today, but at the same time, a lot of them are the same. And the challenge was, you can't have mercury. So, you know, what do you do? Do you give up? Do you say, oh, okay? Or do you, do you look at the challenge, or do you look at the problem as a challenge, something you've got to get around? And so I think we learned pretty quickly that uh, you'll get challenges, and the way, the way to succeed is to find a way round, through, or in some way, avoid these challenges. So that was the first challenge. We'd only been four years into our business when we got a letter from Adidas. And the Adidas lawyers were saying, because we had, our silhouette was two stripes and a T-bar. And the, uh, the Adidas lawyers were saying that they, they, uh, they considered that was a, a violation of the three stripes, that we're infringing the three stripes. Again, we're thinking, wow. But you know, we soon had a smile on our face and we pinned that letter up onto the wall. Adidas know we're here. <laughs> they know we're here. They don't say they're worried, but they're trying to throw a few curved balls at us now. They're just trying to catch us. So we changed our silhouette and we changed it to what we now see as the vector, which is the arrow stripe. Um, inspired by the tail fin in those days of the British Airways. British Airways had a speedbird, they call it a speedbird, this arrow shape on the back. So that, that inspired us for the, uh, for the side mark. But these are the sort of things that, uh, that happen in a growing company. And it's essential to be positive. It's essential to be uh, optimistic. And that, that's the one way. That, uh, that we decided, well, I think it's in your nature. You're either optimistic or you're not. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think you have to be that type. Of, to be an entrepreneur, I think you have to be optimistic. And uh, so we carried on. And of course, life changed. When I started uh, going around the world globally to expand the company, I had to get on an airplane and with a handful of American Express travelers checks. That was my way to expand the company. And no, I had to go to America or go to Europe, wherever I was going. That was the only way because uh, traveling in those, in those early days, telephones, we didn't, have, we didn't have satellites. We didn't have that sort of communication. We only had cables. <laughs> so even if you wanted, if I arrived in Italy and I wanted to phone the UK, I had to go through the operator and the operator would tell me, I'll phone you back. So I have to stay in the room till the operator phones me back. And sometimes <laughs> it's a very long time. Sometimes it never happens. Uh, so communication, big change from today. I mean, look, 
we're talking how many miles are we apart? Probably uh, 4,000 maybe, something like that, difference between us. And, you know, it's just like you're the other side of my table here. So communication has changed such a lot. Um, and information now. I mean, we're so full of information that um, everything now, we've probably got too much information now, if, <laughs> if we're really so, so much information to digest, but life has changed. So yes, today, if we're talking today about what, what I'd be doing, I would certainly, if I was a young man now, I, I would be into technology, really into technology and science. Well, we know that um, Elon Musk now all, all the children of his uh, employees can now go to his school, SpaceX. And SpaceX, the curriculum is science, um, technology, engineering, and maths. And those are so important now because you've got to be into that. That, that is where the difference is. And you know, we, we then start touching on the metaverse and cryptocurrencies and you know, everything now has moved into digitalization. So this has been the difference. We, we had a practical, physical job to do when we started and people worked with their hands. We're going into robotics. We're going into all the different ways now of uh, producing, making a product. Yeah, people, how many people we wanted to work in a, in a, in a shoe factory, the shoes will, it will become automated. So these are the changes that uh, I've seen and uh, that will happen as we go through life now. Thank you, Joe. That's really, really helpful. Now, looking at the future, I mean, all of the traditional businesses, you know, not just shoes. I mean, our group is into fashion and we also are into commodity, making aluminium and cement and chemicals and so forth. Now, with all these changes, you mentioned the digital world happening. How should some of the traditional businesses respond? Because, uh, you know, in your business of retail, digital, online, metaverse, all these things are coming and new players are just digital native, as they call so how should the older companies and different industries, uh, you know, respond to some of these changes in your opinion? Well, first of all, they've got to get some young people in. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, they really need young people because uh, at my age, uh, absorbing metaverse, what on earth is that? You know, it's like, <clears throat> this all comes from gaming. And it, it's, it's a whole new world. So, you know, you might have a traditional business and it might be in manufacturing, but manufacturing is going to really come down. We're going to be robotics. We're going to go AI. There's so much automation going to come on that products will change. There will be a few small businesses that can do some elite manufacturing, which is be too difficult or too small for uh, automation to take on. Uh, but if you want to see where the future is, you, you've got to be taking on the idea of um, AI. You've got, to be, you've got to be certainly taking on science. So if you're a traditional business, you've got to really look and, and say, get some young people in who can give you a vision of what the future is and see if you can bend your business towards it. Because if you don't do that, you will very soon be out of business. Absolutely. And if you look at uh, the retailing business and let's take Reebok or shoes or retail, you know, we have seen at least in the COVID times, a lot of retailers go out of business and so forth. Uh, so as we get out of COVID, what do you think will be the future of retail? Do you think it will become a lot more digital or will we still see a lot of physical and omni-channel or what's your worldview on the future of, let's say, the Reebok business or any other retail business for that matter? Well, if you're, if, you're, if you're into performance product, and uh, at the moment, the Reebok business, they're all fashion, we're all fashion companies. Adidas, Nike, Reebok, they're fashion companies because they, they touch the street. But it depends where you're driven. If you're driven by performance, and certainly Adidas and Nike are driven by performance, Reebok, um, Adidas pulled us out of performance, really. And it's a question as to whether ABG uh, with the new structure are, are going to put us back into performance. So depends what's driving your remark in the future. If, 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 if that's driving it, then everybody goes to watch sport, everybody participates. And this is, this is where 
what people are going to be spending the time doing. They need entertainment. You know, whether you're actually participating as a, a sportsman or whether you're going to watch all this, whether you're a spectator. Either way, sport is, is driving certainly some of the major sports companies we know. And the sports companies are the ones that are thriving. They're the ones that are growing. The sports companies are growing. Uh, a lot of other businesses, unless you're into uh, the metaverse sciences, uh, unless you're really into the, uh, the digital world, they're growing also. But in the physical world, sports is taking over. Everything now is being influenced by sport. Even your designer brands now are influenced by sport. And people want to be casual. You know, you have an open shirt. I used to go to work with a collar and tie. I used to have a tie on. And when I stopped working, I said to my wife, no, no more ties. <laughs> no more ties, except when I go to a, a, uh, an event with a dinner suit. <laughs> Some, but otherwise... And so we're becoming more casual because it's more comfortable. And so I see that uh, really the, the fashion or the sports-driven fashion stores, they are growing. They're, they're, they're going to have a, a lot of business and will continue. Because people, you know, it's all okay. You can look at your computer and say, I like that show, I love that show. But there's no entertainment in that. That's just a need. So going onto your screen more for need than for shopping. Shopping is still a pastime. Yeah. Okay, a lot of small companies, companies which are not looking at today, they will find their business very difficult to continue. But I think businesses with the energy and seeing the new user. I mean, we look now, at, uh, such as Nike and Reebok do this also, people collect sneakers. You know, it's, it's, it's a collectible thing. So, you bring out a collaboration. And uh, we, were, we were in Dubai when Nike brought out a collaboration and we, we knew one of the stores there. And there was a, a line of people up the street ready to buy and that it sold out within hours. So you, you've got, again, you've got to direct your uh, retail towards that audience. And you know, that, that's what they do. Now is what they do. It's, it's entertainment. And it has to continue as entertainment. So there are people growing big. I know in Europe, um, in the UK, JD Sports have grown very big. And I think they are now becoming part of the ABG offerings around the world. And you know, this, this is where the volume is really going to grow. They get a lot more in retail. Um, I did just kept Reebok out of retail. For whatever reason, I don't know. Um, they paid a lot of money and uh, I think when you pay that money you know okay I think they tried to put Reebok into a, a more uh, fitness area and they were they were the more team sport areas so you know when you when you're running your brand and it depends who's going to make the decisions the decision has to be what what's the influences you know music is a big influence and we, we can see that and that's a big but Performance is also a big influence. So there's a mixture there somewhere that you, you've got to keep on uh, looking for that, um, that performance. We were lucky, you know, with, with Reebok when, when we eventually got, it took me 11 years, by the way, to get to America. My first trip was 1968, as you say, year before you were born. <laughs> uh, but it took me 11 years, 1979, before we got our footprint into America. Um, and then five years later, we, we dropped on aerobics. And that was the thing that really grew our business because we were nice, we were doing well in, in running, but we were doing good. Um, but Angel Martinez, he was a tech rep down in LA and his wife was going to these aerobic classes and she was loving it. And she was coming home, follow it. And I asked her, like, hey, what are you doing? And she said, we're, we're exercising to music. Oh, right. And when I went down to have a look at it, he saw the, he saw the instructor in a pair of sneakers. I think in those days, the New Balance. I think the New Balance made an all-white sneaker. So uh, he saw, and half the class were wearing the same sneaker, the other half, no shoes at all. And that was great, because he thought, why don't we make a shoe specifically for aerobics? Aerobics was women. Women were not considered in sport. 
They were always like, yeah, well, you, you buy a small man's shoe. Arnold said, let's make it on a woman's last. And so specifically, he was looking at that audience and what they were women. Let's make it for women. Made some mistakes, made it out of glove leather. You don't make shoes out of glove leather. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we were lucky. We were in Los Angeles, you know, we were America. You know, the girls didn't care. You know, the shoes fell apart in about four weeks. But I went out and bought another pair because they loved them. We got it right. Yeah, eventually we got the leather right. We got everything right there. And then Jane Fonda went out and bought a pair of shoes and used them in her videos. Today, you couldn't, you couldn't buy that, uh, <laughs> that sort of publicity because that changed the world. I mean, we were, we were a $9 million, $9 million business at that point. And a year later, we were $30 million. Year after that, we were $90 million, then $300 million, then $900 million. But in five years, we'd grown from zero to almost a billion. And that was absolutely fabulous. And you know, the, uh, the culture of the business was just a, a successful culture. And, and that was so important. And it's so important that uh, you know, a, a business treats its staff and the people working for it like partners. They've got to be, otherwise they don't belong. You're just going there, arriving at nine and leaving at five. No, that's a job. I, I think if you want to be part and, and really go to work, it's not work. You, you go out there and you're enjoying life. You're part of a different family. And, you know, I do hope, and I do think, from what I gather from ABG, I think they're a bit of a fun company. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to have that. That's got to be at the centre of the spirit of you. You've got to have fun. If you're not having fun, and, and I don't say every day is fun because it's not. Some of the days are, are a bit tough. But, you know, you get up in the morning and, it's, and if it's not fun to go to work, then don't go. You know, you've you got to go somewhere else. You've got to do something else because it's your life and you can spend 40 years doing that. And there's no point in spending 40 years going somewhere that you don't enjoy. So it's making life fun. And uh, if you do that, you create, you create that atmosphere. Yes, the digital era is coming in. We're all going to buy things. In fact, uh, I think Julie's just got me an, a new pair of Reebok uh, um, Club C's in black. I, I have a dinner event coming up. And uh, these days, uh, street shoes... Yeah, I find it difficult to wear street shoes now, mainly because I've got a new knee, I've got a new hip. And at 86, you know, I like to be comfortable in my footwear. And so I've just bought a new pair of, and we did that online because we, we know the company. <laughs> we know the company, yes. And uh, it, it's good. But uh, you know, no, I, I see there's a, the retail it's going to be there, but you've got, you've got to be conscious of why you're there. You've got to be conscious of, the, like me, saying, where are my customers? My customers, they're my customers, they run it. Your retailer has to be there. He just doesn't have to stock a product, open his door, and hope people will walk in. No, he's, he's got to be persuasive. Uh, and for many, many years, before we could have digital, uh, you could buy on your, your computer, the only way you could do it was to go to a store and the stores were fairly disinterested you know the the pointing direction you wanted to go and sometimes some of the good ones would give you advice but uh, i guess the others they will go out of business and as you say a number of retail and we can see it a number of retail have closed down some because uh, they were in the wrong industry being in the travel industry wasn't very good for the last two years. You, you didn't really, nothing much you could do uh, if you're in the travel industry, except shut the door and uh, go get a job. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, I, there's a lot of things. And, you know, we, we can forecast, we can look at what might be happening in the next 50 years. And what you read is, yes, we shall, we shall all be doing nothing and robots will be doing everything. Um, but, you know, we, we do know that certain twists come in life and whatever. And so it's, it's being prepared for those little odd changes. That's the thing. But I, I love the idea now. Now the Reebok are out and away from Adidas. I love the idea that now the opportunity. And ABG are different from your, your standard uh, sort of brand. They're, they're managed in a different way. I, I hope it works. I, I think it's going to be very interesting. 
Um, but uh, it could be very exciting. And uh, I, I can see, certainly I can see that there'll be a lot of growth because there's a concentration on retail. And, uh, and I think that people want to put some fun behind the brand as well. So which way they go, I don't know. We're in fashion, no question. Whether it's going to be performance driven or driven by other influences in the music. But retail, retail I think will stay, but it's got to be entertainment because that's what people want now, entertainment. And, you know, we've been around quite a lot. Julie and I, we spent uh, three weeks in Bangkok and we spent before that five weeks in Dubai. And the trend, I think, is to, when, when you open a store, is also to have a little cafe there or something. You know, we went into one place, they've got a cafe, they've got some sneakers, <clears throat> they've got some books. So it's more or less of an experience rather than just going in for a specific thing. It's telling, it's giving a message. Come, you know, we're a community. So I think the community side of uh, these things now is growing. So Joe, uh, you know, our company also has the same acronym, ABG. We are called the Aditya Billa Group. So we have actually licensed the Reebok brand for India from the other ABG. So that's the other uh, trivia, just so that, you know, so, so I'm not part of that business, but some of my colleagues are. So if you were to give some advice to my colleagues who have just now licensed the Reebok brand for the India market, what do you think they should focus on? What do you think they should build over the next 10, 20 years? <laughs> they, should, they should buy my book. Oh. <laughs> they'll learn that a company has a heart. The brand has a heart. They shouldn't just treat it as a, as a different name. No, they should want to know about the brand. They should want to know about everybody. And people should go with a smile on their face. They should be going, thinking that this is, you know, we're, we're going to succeed. You know, that power of a positive thinking is, is so important that people have got to, yeah, we got, we got the brand. No, Adidas, Nike, yesterday, Reebok. Now Reebok is going to really become number one. And yeah, putting that message to the staff, to the people. I've done quite a few. When we were in Dubai, we were with MENA. That's the Middle East, uh, North Africa team. And they have 80 countries. Don't know what's going to happen with ABG, whether that stays on. But they, they opened up a, a meeting. We, we, we had a... Uh, I mean, just like this, it wasn't a podcast, but it was like, oh, no. And we, we had questions and answers, and I was telling my story. And so we had 80 countries, and we do that. You know, I do that quite a lot, because I, I do believe that, uh, you know, if you don't believe in a company, nobody else will. You've got to. You've got to, you know, believe that it's doing the best. This is it, and this is what we did. And this is the excitement we had. And, and it's creating the staff to have the excitement, to have that feel that, wow, you know, this, this is fantastic. We've, you know, we just got the best opportunity that's going in this world. Yeah, that's creating that energy. And like I say, we're willing to travel anytime and, and pass on the message, you know, because it's, uh, it's so important. And just, just like the history, I think, is important. Not, well, you can learn an awful lot, but certainly if you can feel it, you know, right from my grandfather, Oh, 125 years ago now, he made his first pair of spike running shoes. And from then, well, we, we became number one. In, uh, in the late 1980s, uh, we were bigger than Adidas, bigger than Nike. And we were the number one global sports brand. I think the only problem with that is that I found Paul Feynman. And Paul Feynman did a absolutely cracking job. Fantastic. <clears throat> but I think he ran out of steam, probably as I did. As I thought, like, look, we need younger people. We need people to, to drive this. And uh, he didn't find the right person. Unfortunately, he couldn't find somebody like Herbert Heiner, who took Adidas from a very, very low position and has brought them up incredibly um, before he left. And you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's something that, unfortunately, Reebok didn't get. They didn't get the right person. I'm hoping now we've got the right team. And I'm, I'm looking at this and saying, well, not. they've got my back in anyway, and I'd love to uh, say, pass on any message that, uh, that is wanted. So, yep, retail is, is healthy if 
if the the retail themselves are uh, are really tuned in they have to be so you know in my mind reebok stands for sports and athletics and performance now you mentioned that the future is really entertainment so in your mind the next 20 30 years do you think the reebok brand being associated with a broader set of activities beyond sports and you know in the realm of entertainment or what's your sort of thought process there it has to be as broad as you can make it and as broad as you can see i don't think you can limit your vision i think your vision has to take in everything that you can see because <clears throat> what is going to be so big what is go where are people going to go next you've got to be with it right at that beginning it's it's so important that uh, i don't think there's a limit i i think that reebok can be uh, you you give it a a a position in life and that position is quality integrity it performance you you have that then people will follow you people will go people still love brands because brands represent something that they feel they they want to achieve and, and I, this this is what reebok has to do it, it has to have that fulfillment of people's ambitions life uh, desires and uh, be be so much to to people that they they do they become reebok as you see it around people I talk to you know I like Adidas I like, okay they like Adidas that's fine you know we'll try and pinch them and get them back into Reebok but you know if they're like they they feel comfortable with it and you you've got to make people feel comfortable you've got to make people feel as though this uh yeah you know, this is what we're here for and we we love Reebok so yeah Reebok could stand for anything thank you so much i think that that was very well said that you know you have to capture the aspirations of the customers the people and these aspirations keep changing over generations so we have to just catch that next trend like you caught the women trend and you know there may be many other trends going on we need to catch those trends and be there <laughs> where they are absolutely, absolutely. You've, got, you've got to be there and, and it needs needs that right it needs that insight at the top yeah uh, <clears throat> and nobody really knows joe foster wasn't my ambition for joe foster to have a big name the only reason i'm doing it now is so we can sell the book and you know, get shoemaker there and and also help with with rebox um, we'll say resurrection that you know revitalizing the brand that that's fine for me it was always about rebox and it was about you know making sure that that name that 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 brand meant something so you know that's and, and and we did we succeeded very well and i say i'm looking forward now that uh, now it's not the nadis that we it's going to be a new uh, a new rising of reebok and a new new way of people looking at reebok and seeing the credibility and the brand and you know i'm wanting to buy it and we'll certainly share this uh, podcast with the leadership team and folks who are driving this business in our conglomerate and maybe we'll organize a separate session with you where they can really understand the history and take your insights in shaping the future strategy for this brand well i hope so you know and uh, <clears throat> um yeah i believe in it and uh, we we were very fortunate in many times but we went through some difficult situations some changes but uh yeah I I hope that people feel the enthusiasm for the brand and you know whilst I'm around and I'm here I'll be enthusiastic for the brand. <laughs> Thank you so much it has been lovely. Uh, I'll I'll pass the baton back to uh, Webhav <laughs> if he has probably a couple of questions he's been waiting to ask. <laughs> uh, thanks thanks Pankaj. Uh Joe um, how has I mean we we talked a lot about your life pre Reebok and now um, during reebok and how you scaled it from uh being starting from a brewery to a business that did uh, more than 4 billion dollars in revenue when you uh, quit in late 80s i believe um yeah late 80s so how how has life been post that and um you wrote a book about your life quite long after you quit reebok right so <laughs> i believe yes, it's been yeah. a few years that you have been writing the book so how has life been in those uh 20 25 years and uh how do you how do you feel about uh the brand now now that you look back on the life while writing a book what comes to your mind how do you feel well it's, it's a quite a coincidence that my book should come out at the time uh just before or just about the time that adidas decided to uh to release the company and let somebody else uh, run it so 
we're, we're both taking a journey. <laughs> the brand is taking a journey and I am taking a journey. So it's the brand and shoemaker are working. And, uh, and I think that's a nice coincidence. I, 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 I hope people buy the uh, shoemaker book because uh, of the story. And I, you know, I wrote it because, uh, like I say, I retired. I went to Tenerife and lay back. Let's have a bit of sunshine. Let's have a bit of relaxation. And the phone keeps ringing. The phone keeps ringing. You know, Joe, what did we do with this? How did we do that? So for quite a lot of time, I kept on getting dragged back into Reebok. But uh, I'm still relaxed. And uh, then reading Wikipedia, I'm reading Google and all these. And they're telling me, they're telling me how Reebok started. And there's a photograph of Joe Foster. And I'm saying, who's that? That's, that's not me. <laughs> there's a photograph. And, so I thought, no. Well, people have said, why don't you write your story? So I thought, well, okay, look, they've got it all wrong. I'll write the story, then at least we'll have it right. This is how we started. This is what we did. No. So I wrote the story and I had some help because I'm a shoemaker. I did, you know, I'm, I was doing this, this, but I also did this. But the story needs to be straight. The story needs to be the story, not all these little anecdotes that I had uh, I had lots of those as well, lots of them. And not those. We need so the story came out. And a lot of people have been reading it. And now I'm doing a lot of these podcasts and things because it, it's become a business book. A lot of people are saying, well, yes, yeah, it, we know it's your story, but when you read this, there's so many things that you did, you went through that people can learn from. And so now <clears throat> we've done London Business School, done an interview there with the MBA students. Uh, University of, uh, is it University of? UCL. UCL, University, Uni University of College London. And we've got Manchester University, we've got Umpty. And we're off to America to do a university just outside Chicago in April. Is that April we're going? April, Illinois. In, in April in Illinois. And then we're going to have 12 weeks in America in summer. Just doing the same thing, going through universities and uh, different, uh, different cities, talking about the book. So we hope that this can pull together with what ABG are doing now to get the brands, give it that momentum. So between us, you know, we hope. But yeah, I mean, that's what I've done is write that book. And now, um, because, you know, we wanted to get Reebok to become a number one and it did become a number one, I'd love to get Shoemaker up there as well and get everybody to read it. <clears throat> and I don't think that would do ABG any harm if we got uh, Shoemaker <laughs> number one. I think I think it would do it pretty pretty good because we could work together. And I hope as uh, well. I know the deal hasn't finished yet, but when it's finished, I hope that we do some talking before we go to America, so that we're working on the same page, we're talking the same story. And uh, yeah, so yeah, my life. Uh, it's, Reebok for me has been a bit like um, the Eagles, the Eagles song, um, Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. <laughs> so Reebok has been like that to me. I can check out, but I can't leave. So I'm here. <laughs> that, that definitely makes, makes a, lot, a lot of sense. And also, I read the first few chapters of your, of your book and... Um, they read, they read beautifully well, and uh, I mean, I was, I was hooked by the first line itself where you say you don't like running, and uh, <laughs> you were a lousy shoemaker. So yeah, totally got me hooked. Uh, also, uh, Joe, uh, I would, I would really like to know uh, uh, your perspective since now uh, Julie is really working uh, very closely with you, and and I have yes. been interacting with her for setting up the podcast, and also I had a chat with Roberto. Uh, I, I believe you met him and Noor in uh, in Dubai, um, right? And and Julie has definitely played a, a huge huge role in uh, helping you write the book and now with all your tools and everything. So I would also love to hear what she, what she, how she feels about Reebok and she has been a part of your journey throughout, right? So um, tell us a bit more about uh, that side of your life with, with Julie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we, 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 we never stop. Um, Julie and I, uh, up until COVID, we, we used to uh, drive through Europe and we used to meet up with all the old Reebok 
distributors and they're all still friends. So but we're all getting a bit older. <laughs> Instead of, we're all getting a bit older. But so we've been doing that. We've been traveling a lot. We, we really never stopped. And uh, we, we like to travel into America. We, we used to get into Boston to their headquarters there quite a lot. So that's, that's what we've been doing. And Julie is now, she's more or less, um, I could say, it, pushing the book. She is doing all the work the, to get the book, to get people yeah. and, and to make these arrangements so, uh, so that we can have podcasts, we can talk. And so, yeah, as I was saying, we're, we're going to America. Well, Julie's got all this. She's working on it all the time. So that's great. We, you know, if anybody wants to help, they can help Julie because <laughs> we you know, pass the message on. Yes, you know, read Shoemaker and, you know, let's get Reebok back into number one. Um, because I was asked, there's a couple of people who were looking to buy Reebok at the time. And they said to me, what would you, you do if, uh, if we buy Reebok? I said, well, get it back to number one. And they said, well, you know, Nike's so big now and Adidas is big and we're, we're quite relatively small. I said that doesn't that doesn't stop you having the vision, you know. If you're not got the vision to become number one, you'll stop wherever you think you should be. No, you know, grow. Just put some more energy behind it. And as I say, so now we, we're going through America. We hope to be working with APG. We hope that we can bring come together and, uh, and both gain from it. So we've always travelled and we'll continue to travel. Uh, I think it's. Um, it's been in my blood ever since we ever since I before I got to America when I got to America I then was going around the world at least three times a year putting on distribution after getting Paul Feynman and America going I put on 30 other distributors around the world so uh, and one of the reasons I left was became we became a corporate company it became just so corporate and and I was just traveling all the time being picked up wherever I was, buy a limousine, going to the best hotel, having the best, and you know, the challenge had gone. So now I have a challenge again now. Now the shoemaker's brought the challenge back and the change that Adidas now have uh, released the company. So uh, there's some challenges left. So yeah, life is a lot more exciting now. And you know, just happy to go with that. Sure. <laughs> also, Joe, I saw one of your photos with, uh, I remember, uh, I, I believe that was, uh, in Boston, the headquarters, uh, where you're burning um, uh, a time capsule for Reebok. I don't know oh. which year that was. That was, in, that was in the United Kingdom, in Bolton. Oh, that was yeah. in Bolton, all right. We, we, and, we, built, we built the international office there okay. in, in Bolton. And uh, one of these days, so it's now, it was done in 87, so it's 20 odd years. I think, I think we were thinking of, digging that up 25 years <laughs> so if <laughs> if uh if abg uh are sort of looking for ideas like that we could certainly put that up and say wonder what's in that because i can't remember i know there's definitely a pair of foster shoes in there and yeah. i think there's a pair of reebok in there and a lot of paperwork so uh, yeah it might be good to sort of pull up that time capsule and see what's in it. Good advertising, good sort of publicity. That's, uh, I think they were going to do it for the 125 years. Yeah, Julie's saying it was 125 years. What is it now? They planned to do it for, but then Adidas... Oh, no. That's right. Well, Adidas didn't go with that, because that would have been in 2020 anyway. 125 years yeah. would have been 2020. Um, so we can celebrate anything. But, you know, I think it would be good. Even if it's under there, it can be left under there. But I think, you know, there's a chance now to say, well, why not? So, you know, if we can if we can talk to the right people, we can we can probably have a big celebration on saying, well, this is 125, 126 now, 127 now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, there's some of the things. Yes, that's the photograph. And I, Paul Fireman and myself, we were there. Uh, I, well, Paul did come over, <clears throat> and we we buried the time capsule. <laughs> cool. Um... Thanks a lot, Joe. Uh, I think it was an absolute uh, pleasure speaking with you. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely continue reading your book. It, it reads beautifully well. And uh, would also recommend all our listeners to 
buy the book and read it. And um, it was absolute. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. And I think uh, our listeners can really pick out some gems of wisdom from your life, uh, the way you built the whole business from scratch. And uh, also a, a huge, huge thanks to Julie for um, helping enable all of this. Yeah, well, we're still we're still going. She's put a thumbs up there and said thank you back. <laughs> so she thanks you. Yeah, well, it's, it's just been been lovely, lovely meeting you, and it's nice nice to get connected with where the the brand is going now. You know, this this is this is a new era for the brand, so it's nice to meet you guys, and uh, you know, look forward to well everything that happens in this next twelve months because it's going to explode. I know it is. <laughs> Fantastic. Vibhav and I also promise to be influencers and we'll make this podcast and your book go viral through our networks. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, thank, well, you, uh, thank you, Julie. Thank, thank you, so you much, Joe. Bro. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you very much. And uh, look forward to meeting you sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to have you here. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.